Hello and welcome to Waypoint Online. My name's Jim, one of the leaders here at the church, and uh, it's great that you're joining us. And uh, however it is, if it's live, uh, fantastic, welcome. Uh, I know it's still not how we'd like it to be, which is shoulder to shoulder, but um, or with a space in between. Um, but it's, uh, it, is, it is what it is, and God is still good. No matter the circumstances, he doesn't change. And uh, we're going to worship that God in a minute. Uh, if you're new, uh, then you're very warm welcome to you. Perhaps you just want to put your name in the, in the comments and we'd love to say hello to you, connect you in somehow. Please get in contact with us. If you're not new, you're just as welcome and uh, we miss you. And uh, yeah, please contact us as well if you want to chat about anything. We'd love to chat with you. Um, I'm always going to really um, just set up, I suppose, the, the, the rest of this service today. Uh, we want to just invite the Spirit. He's already here. We want to just give us access. We don't want to be distracted by anything. We don't want our minds to be kind of running around and all other stuff, shopping lists and all that kind of thing. We're really focused today on what it is the Spirit is trying to do. Uh, not my words, um, not any cleverness on my part, but just what the Spirit is trying to do, what Jesus has wanted to say. And um, we're going to first do that by, by worshipping Him, by praising Him, bringing Him worth and uh, just inviting the Spirit to, to, to help us to engage with what it is He wants to, to, to teach us today. So let's just pray. <clears throat> yeah, Lord, we thank you for a chance to be together, virtually, uh, not physically yet, Lord, but um, we trust that with you, Lord, and we uh, thank you that we get to be able to do this. And uh, Lord, we get to be able to do this, um, not just with our church, but the bigger the bigger uh, church in around the world, Lord, that we are a part of one big family. What an honour and a privilege that is to be able to worship one God our Heavenly Father. And just as we come to this time of worship right now, I pray that there are any um, distractions, how valid they might be, Lord, how painful they could be, how serious they might be, Lord. Just pray that we can, you know, we can just, we can come as we are, definitely, but we, we're not distracted by them, Lord. We can just lift our eyes to you and we can worship you this morning with freedom. Lord, and then as we worship you, Lord, and we know that you inhabit our praise, Lord, that we, we have a real sense of your spirit just uh, delighted in us. Because we know that you do. Thank you. And uh, thank you for the honour that we have to be able to worship you. Amen. Amen. The reading is from Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's great, isn't it, to know that uh, we're joining in with one another, even though we're not side by side, you know, that we are wherever we are, sat on a bus, in our pyjamas, wherever it is we're doing. I was on a bike a couple of weeks ago, singing along, worshipping. We are joining through one spirit, praising our Heavenly Father, joining in with the angels' song. It's fantastic to know that. 
Um, what a privilege it is. Thank you as well to so many of you that make it possible for us to, be able to do this. Um, we really do appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. I want to start today with um, the question, have you ever got partway through a project, um, perhaps a plan that you had, and uh, you didn't quite realise quite how hard it was going to be? You didn't quite realise how difficult this was going to be. About two and a half years ago, um, Abby and I decided we wanted to get an extension on the back of our house. So we, we managed to remortgage and the builders came around and we got the planning done and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they were able to actually start a lot quicker than we anticipated. So we had two weeks really, which is crazy, unknown. Uh, we wanted to save a little bit of money. So we thought um, in that two weeks, we'll knock down, we had a tiny two meter by two meter extension utility bit on the back of our house bricked thing. And um, in that was fridge, freezer, washing machine, and a few other things. And so we thought, we'll get rid of that, save a bit of money, be fine. So we started to work on it. Um, I thought I'd capped the, the water supply into the, the washing machine, took the washing machine out, water went everywhere, cracking start. Went to get the fridge, freezer out of this space and uh, realized I couldn't, we couldn't budget. Me and I'd be trying to wobble it out, it just didn't work. So I had to go and buy a trolley, um, some, some more expense that we didn't really want to have to do, but we did. We got the trolley, managed to kind of squeeze it out and roll it around and get it over the threshold back into the main part of the house. And as we did that, we scraped down the side of the fridge freezer. We took brick, we sort of took bits of brick off the inside of, the, of our old kitchen and all that sort of stuff as well. It was, it was all going really well. And um, we got the laminate flooring up in there and that took a bit of time. We sat down after about four days and we were like, this is hard work. I don't know if we've got, this is going to be two weeks, going to be long enough for us to do this. But we thought we'd stick to the vision, stick to the vision, keep that bigger vision in mind. So we did, carried on. The next day, I sat on the roof, getting the tiles off this, this roof, and um, Abby started to sort of sledgehammer the bricks. Um, I was a little bit worried because obviously I might fall through it, but never mind. Um, anyway, after a while, Abby went to, to hit this brick because it just wasn't dislodging at all. And she caught the bottom her bottom hand on another brick bang, and she cut right across. So that's probably the time that we thought we probably should have bought some gloves. Um, she had really nasty cut on her hand, so finished it all off, um, went and bought some gloves. And um, so we managed to get the bricks down, we got you know, the tiles off the roof and stuff. We were left with the wooden frame, there's bricks all around us as well. Uh, we were just trying to work as hard as we could. We kept having little mini um, discussions about maybe we should have just paid the builder a thousand pounds more. Um, but I was confident that this was gonna be a good thing. And um, wooden frame was left to timber. Started to try and saw it with my hand saw, and it just wasn't cutting it. Like literally wasn't cutting it. Um, so I bought a, I bought an electric saw and took it. To, it took it like took it to town. Right, completely annihilated it. The timber came down. Everything's fantastic. Bits of timber lying around and brick and stuff. I was like, yeah, this is it. We're really getting somewhere now. And uh, I went to step across. Um, a pile of bricks to get to the two bit, the two planks that kind of everything was built on, the timber frame was built on, that were on the side of the house. And as I stepped across, I stepped over some rubble straight onto a nail. This is where I thought, this is probably why builders have safety clothing, but we'll carry on. I was like, hmm. Anyway, managed to prise one of the planks off the wall, but couldn't prise the other one off. So I got the stepladder off, out, sorry, sort of steel rod, trying to pull it off, couldn't cut through the nail, the screws at the back. And as I came back down the stepladder, out of nowhere, there was just thwack on the back of my head. And what had happened was, the, the plank had just decided to fall off the wall. And uh, I kind of was bent over, looking at the floor with rubble everywhere. My foot was hurting. I was kind of, blood was beginning to trickle down through my, um, my hairline. 
And I was just thinking, this was not worth it. Surely this was not worth it. And uh, Abby and I were looking at each other, kind of half laughing and crying at the same time. And uh, we, you know, we got there in the end. We, um, we, we bagged up all the rubble and all that sort of stuff, took it to the tip, didn't realise that certain things you have to pay for at the tip as well. So that was more expense. So after spending money on a, on a trolley and then an electric saw and then spending money at the tip as well, <laughs> we didn't save as much as we thought. But we kept the vision in mind. You know, we've got a lovely extension in the back of our house now that we've used family and friends and lots of different church things as well. It's great space. And we, you know, that's the thing. That hope of that vision was really kind of driving us on all the time. And uh, I don't know what your project might be. You might have been reminded of certain things that you kind of said yes to or decided to do. And uh, you thought, yeah, I didn't really count the cost. Some of you are thinking, Jim, if you just planned a bit better and got some safety stuff sorted out, You'd have been fine, probably true, but there we go. Today, I want us to put our, I guess, our decision, our commitment to follow Jesus um, under the microscope. You know, we're on to week six, which is crazy, week six of our Unashamed series, um, looking at the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, about some real key principles of what it means to be an unashamed disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you've missed any of the the previous weeks, then please check out our podcasts um, on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, however it is you like to engage with uh, ministry here. Um, But the very first week, six weeks ago, Keith gave us a great overview of some of those key principles that we're going to be looking at. Second week, I spoke about being a servant of Christ Jesus, as Paul talks about in Romans 1.1. Actually, that word servant is doulos, that we are a slave to Christ. And that should really impact how our relationship with Jesus looks like. Um, and then in, in week uh, three, that's correct, yeah, week three, um, we talked about, or Keith talked about, a disciple knows the gospel they communicate, the story that they are a part of, you know, because the sort of gospel we communicate will determine the sort of disciples that we are and the disciples that we make as well. So it's really important to understand the bigger narrative that you are called to as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's been great. It's been really, really awesome, actually, to engage with so many of you about how do you wrestling with your gospel? What, what is it I believe? Why have I believed that? Actually, as your methetes, as you're working out discipleship, your salvation, you know, what does it look like now? What kind of new angles has it taken on? And we kind of want to help you continue to do that. So continue to be in contact with us. The last time I spoke, I spoke about righteous living, that we are made right only through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on the cross not through anything that we can do. We're going to be back in right relationship with God because of Jesus. And then we choose to live righteously as a result of that. Um, And then last week, Keith looked at uh, that discipleship is God's tried and tested method. And he introduced three kind of clear things to us um, about discipleship, actually, that, you know, salvation and discipleship, they're not two separate events. Actually, as soon as he said yes to Jesus, you know, you're a disciple. And uh, he talked about the first thing is that when you're called to follow Jesus, there's a personal call and there's an international call. I think possibly, certainly, um, you know, myself, I've kind of fallen for this in the past, that it's my faith about, you know, with Jesus, it's just more about me. Actually, you're called straight into a much bigger kingdom plan, a bigger narrative to go and make disciples. Secondly, that there is, that this call is recognized by a covenant or an agreement, and usually through a sacrifice, and that for us, as you know, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. Matthew 26 says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It's that, it's that covenant, that agreement that we see. 
And then there's a covenant sign. So you, as you know, if you follow Jesus Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit at that point. The Holy Spirit is this thing that seals you, that you are God's now. That you are all about his kingdom. You're about his purposes. And I'm hoping by now, many of you, if you haven't already, you recognize that salvation and discipleship cannot be divorced. They're the same thing. The moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you became a disciple. And I'm hoping that this has really challenged you and has stirred some things up as well. I know it has. Um, but this is kind of, as we get into Romans 5 now, this is kind of, Paul is bringing us to this culmination, actually, because we're made right through Jesus Christ. We are righteous through Jesus Christ only. He talks about the fruit of righteousness, this beautiful fruit of righteousness, of, of peace and of grace and of hope as well. That we are now at peace with God. We now have access to and can stand in God's grace because of Jesus Christ. We now have a, we have a now hope, you know, that we are a new creation now, but also we have a future hope that we can look forward to. And that's really important. We'll unpack that a bit later on. Paul is painting this incredible picture, you know, that we choose to follow Jesus each day and we can live with that hope, live in that grace. That we're now living at peace with God. But also he then kind of brings in this, this word suffering in verse 3. That we can even have hope in our suffering. Now suffering is probably something that we don't often want to or like or perhaps don't think about too much when it comes to following Jesus Christ. But being a follower, being a disciple is costly. You know, just as it was that may not be stuck to our extension vision plan, you know, that was costly. You know, being a follower of Jesus, when we stick to God's kingdom plan, it will be costly. It will be costly. Nothing quite affirms our decision to say yes to Jesus, I think, than the, the cost of following him. It puts us right under the microscope, that decision to follow him. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time it cost you anything to follow Jesus Christ? When was the last time perhaps you suffered something as a result of following Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about um, valid struggles and, and pain and suffering such as perhaps illness or anxieties and same thing, or, or perhaps um, jobs or where we're at the pandemic, pandemic right now. I know many of people are struggling with lots of different stuff. I get that. And that's all valid. It's all important. But this is not the sort of cost that Paul is getting at in this particular passage. It's not I'm saying either that Jesus doesn't work for you uh, in those times as well, isn't doing things, um, isn't stood alongside you in your pain and your suffering. He is. Um, but I, that's not the focus of what I want to get at today. So, um, yeah, this is all about being obedient to Jesus Christ as a disciple of his. And that means facing cost as a result. That word suffering in Romans 5.3 is actually a word tribulation, which kind of really gives you the sense of being hemmed in from every side as pressure, tension as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I think back to those times I said yes to Jesus at youth rallies or youth events and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, if perhaps someone had spoken to me about the cost a little bit more, I don't know, maybe it would have been such an easy decision for me to make. Um, there's, a, there's a cracking passage in Luke, Luke 14 that says, um, it says this, it says, Our, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? Right? Seems pretty impossible. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. How can we make peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be 
my disciples. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What a big cost that is, giving up everything that we have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, it, it, we have to think this stuff through. We have to recognize each day as we say yes to Jesus each day, it's going to cost us. You know, it's going to cost us. And I really think actually this cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ is, is what aligns us with the bigger narrative of God's kingdom. Otherwise it just becomes about us all the time. It becomes our kingdom stuff. You know, when we're faced with suffering for Jesus, when we're faced with the cost of that, it kind of aligns us with, with, with God, with Jesus. I think it's synonymous with being a follower of Jesus Christ. You look at it in the Old Testament, and I know the key spoke about this a little bit last week, but you look at Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac because he'd been asked to by God in faith. You know, he was obedient to him. He was prepared to, to, to face this cost. You know, Scripture doesn't ever sort of discuss, you know, will you face problems as follow Jesus Christ, you know, for Jesus Christ? Um, will you face suffering as a result of following Jesus Christ? It just, it just... It just accepts that it will. Just accepts that it will. It's a it's a high call to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and I, I want to kind of hang today's talk on some framework. So I found a passage in Luke nine that I want to just read to you real quick, and then just pull some a couple of principles from it that I think can help us, because we are quite far removed, aren't we, from the original audience that this was written to? But just help us with our twenty first century hats on as followers of Jesus Christ and ways in which. This can cost us. We can align ourselves to the bigger narrative, the bigger kingdom stuff. It's taken from Luke 9, as I said, um, and it's Luke 9, 57 through to 62. I'll read it to you. You might want to read along. It's up to you. Excuse me. It says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will, fo I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible passage, isn't it? But I think it highlights three areas um, for us that we can really be challenged on. Jesus directly challenges the crowd back then, but also us on as well. Now, as I was writing this in a warm office and with a cup of tea and thinking about what I want for dinner that evening, I was thinking about cost a lot, thinking about following Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And like, I think it's, it's such a strange thing. We're, we're so far removed, like I said, from the audience this was originally intended to. And what the Roman church were facing as well, as Paul was writing to the Roman church, what they were going to be facing as well. And I think, you know, I think we can get into this place where, you know, we're 21st century now as a Western society. You know, we are looking at a first century world in, the, in scripture and very, very different Middle Eastern culture as well. And what, what, how does it affect me now? Especially in, a, especially in, a, in a, probably a country where, you know, I'm not saying we won't, but we're not really, we don't face much opposition, do we? I think, uh, for following Jesus Christ. And I, I think there's actually, there's, I think there's a maturity that comes at when we do face opposition, because it does, as it says in the rest of the Romans 5, 3, 4, 5 verses, you know, because that, that when you face opposition it, and you persevere through that, it builds this character, this, 
fruit of the spirit is building in you is patience and this, you know, this self-control that leads to this um, continued hope, hope in the in, in the glory of God. And so it's it can be quite hard to kind of think, you know, well, you know, what does it look like to face cross for following Jesus today? And I want to say from the very beginning, I think it starts with enthusiasm. Definitely, you should want to be enthusiastic about Jesus every single day. But just know that that isn't enough just to be enthusiastic about Jesus. You see that in those three, those three men's responses. You know, they, they all had enthusiasm. You can imagine Jesus as he's walking around. You know, the crowds are kind of gathered around him. He's, you know, this kind of excitement, anticipation is bubbling up everywhere. And people are shouting different things out. You know, and that, that first man is like, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Jesus' response is like, great, another one in the gang, another one in the group. You know, immediately makes it personal. Just as cost should be, he makes it personal to us. It's, it's easy to say, oh, I'll follow you. I'm enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, I'll be part of that gathering. I'll go to church and I'll be part of a small group. I'll follow you. But Jesus immediately makes it personal. He makes it personal to you and to me as well. He paints a clearer picture. And he cuts right, I think, to something to the core that we all struggle with, which is, which is comfort. Comfort, that sense of self. You know, that sense of self. Now, what I'm not saying here is that we should all give up our jobs and sell our houses and become missionaries. Because if, you know, if that's what it went, meant, then we, none of us would qualify. But what does it mean? So that whoever wants to be a disciple has to pick up their cross daily and follow Jesus. That's a big thing. Luke 9.23 talks about that's a big thing to pick up your cross, pick up your cross and follow Jesus um, daily. And I think the first thing is to, it, it tackles our comfort. That self, isn't it? That, that learning to live a life of self-denial. Self-denial, it's kind of, it's kind of countercultural now. Because actually, you shouldn't deny yourself anything nowadays, right? You know? You're good enough, you earn it, you deserve it. You know, maybe it is self-indulgence, there's a bit of that in there, I don't know. Perhaps it's more subtle than that. I think for me, something that is, and hopefully some of you can resonate with this, that is... Um, it kind of trips me up in my walk with Jesus and, and I don't count the cost enough is this kind of, this need to, to sort of people please, I suppose. You know, not want to rock the boat a little bit or wherever it might be. Some of you might be able to understand that, I don't know. But I think that's another way that self, that comfort within us um, can prevent us from counting the cost of following Jesus. I'm, as many of you know, I, I'm um, one of my, I, I've got a son called Obi and he plays football a lot. So um, I get to meet a lot of other dads and then you have a lot of laughs with them and that kind of stuff as well. You chat about football and stuff. You become part of WhatsApp groups and things as well. And sometimes on those WhatsApp groups, there are things that are shared that, um, that are very interesting. And it's probably easy sometimes just to mute certain WhatsApp groups, perhaps not be a part of them. But um, it's led to some really, really interesting and intriguing conversations because I could just stay quiet, right? I could say nothing at all. Um, I could, do, I could do nothing at all, right? Worse, I could join in, I suppose. Um, and um, what it's meant is that sometimes, privately, I've had conversations with, with people who have maybe apologised or said something um, about it, like, why don't you join in? Or why don't you say something? Or like, what do you think about this? Or whatever. Or, um, and it's the easy thing to do is to want to be liked by that person. <laughs> But actually, you know, 
I want to be, I don't want to be a slave to someone else's opinion on me. Now, I serve one master, and that's Jesus. So I want to pursue truth because Jesus is truth. So sometimes, you know, I've sat across, I don't know, tables with people at the pub, or I have been in meetings with people trying to get me to agree with them on something, or, you know, to see it just from their point of view. And in the past, perhaps I've been like, oh no, I don't want to risk this, I don't want to risk that, I don't want to do whatever it is, I don't want it to affect my relationship or whatever it might be, so I'll just stay quiet, I won't say anything at all. But actually, that's not what it means, I think, sometimes to follow Jesus Christ. And that's part of the cost. And that cuts us right to our core. Generally believe it cuts, cuts us right to the core. I'd sooner serve Jesus in that moment and run the risk of whatever that might be and align myself with kingdom value. You know, it could be different for any of us right now that are listening to this or watching that. It could be that the Holy Spirit is just putting something, it's just prodding you right now and it's saying it's, it's not that. Your comfort comes in materialism or money or profile or things, perhaps of your past that you're defined so heavily by things that have happened to you in your past, even though you might not want to admit it, that to cut that out, you know, that's a heavy cost. Because then what? Then what? You become defined by Christ instead. Perhaps there's something as, as scary as sharing your faith with your co-workers or a friend. I don't know what it could be, but actually it's just easy. It's easier. It's less risky. I want to just preserve my comfort, um, you know, just to, 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 to not do that. But Jesus, he didn't die for our comfort, right? He died for our allegiance. He died for our sins. He died for us to be back in right relationship with God. And I think cost aligns us with the bigger narrative, the international call. I think comfort builds our own kingdom. I think cost builds Jesus' kingdom. And I want to leave that bit with you to allow the Spirit just to speak to you on that. The second thing, Jesus turns to the second man in the crowd and this time says, follow me. And he replies, Lord, let me go bury my father. And there's lots of different conjecture over this. Uh, a lot of scholars say that his father hasn't just died. Asked why would he be following Jesus around? It seems a little bit insensitive. And so um, some scholars are led to believe it's kind of two possible things going on here. That actually his father was ill and was about to die. Or that his, he was honouring his father's kind of relationship over him. And so until his father died, then he'd come back and he'd follow Jesus. You know, but again, Jesus cuts to the gravity, the seriousness of what it will cost to follow him. He's basically saying, what's more important? What's more important? Follow me. Follow me. Maybe we don't wrestle with this stuff enough. What is more important than Jesus? We declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's number one. Of course he's number one. But when it comes to it, what's most important? Look at what is most important in your life. It could be family. It could be family. It could be your commitment to family, to some, I don't know, to a relationship. I don't know. Jesus really pushes this hard in Luke 14, verse 26, when he says, uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brother and sister, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, I wanted to say right at the beginning, Jesus is, God is love. Jesus is love, right? It seems contrary to who he is, his very nature. So it, it's not that he's speaking in hyperbole or exaggeration. He's kind of trying to make this distinction that actually if anyone cannot love less their father, their mother, their sister, brother themselves, then Jesus, actually that means you love them more. They're more important. They're number one, not Jesus. It might not be your family. It might not be a relationship. It could be a hobby. It could be a position, right? It could be how people perceive you. And so you've got to keep that. That's really important to me. Nothing can rock that boat. It could be a dream job. I don't know, a, a, like I said, a hobby or a, just a dream, a life dream that you've got. 
weigh it up. What things are really, really important to you? What people are really, really important to you? What positions are really, really important to you? Can you see yourself not doing that, not being there, not being with that person? Can you see yourself elevating Jesus above those things? Perhaps Jesus is saying to you, I'm not saying he is, but perhaps he is. I'm allowed the Spirit to do this. And it's so important to, to be, you know, as it says, to, to be examined by the Spirit. God, search me. Know my heart. Perhaps the Spirit is saying, well, that, if that is too important, it's more important than me. Perhaps that's the cost. That's the cost of following Jesus for some of you. The third man, this guy volunteers to follow Jesus. There's that enthusiasm again, right? But he wants to go back first to say a quick goodbye. And like you would think Jesus would be okay with this, right? Just a quick goodbye. But Jesus again cuts straight to it. It's now. It's now. We've got kingdom stuff to be getting on here. You know, I've reconciled you to God. You, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've been reconciled to God and your job is to reconcile others. You've been given the ministry of reconciling others to, to God. You've got kingdom purposes to be getting about. You can't have those distractions going on. You see this when Jesus calls uh, Simon, Peter and Andrew. You know, these were fishermen. That was their livelihoods. That's everything that they knew. That was their society. That was their culture. And yet when Jesus says, follow me, they put their nets down and they follow Jesus. It's this all-in thing. It's this all-in thing. It's going to cost me possibly lots of stuff, but it's this all-in thing. Jesus doesn't want divided hearts. Divided hearts where you've got one foot in something else and one foot in the kingdom. And, you know, and it, you know depending on what day it is as well, Sunday I've got one foot in the kingdom for an hour and then, then back out and all that sort of thinking. It's not what Jesus is getting at. A little bit like Lot's wife who looked back you know, sometimes we can look back, we can look sideways, we can get distracted. Actually, there's that stuff, you know. Actually, it costs a lot to be fully focused on God all the time, be fully focused on Jesus all the time. Lots of you know, I spoke about this um, a few years ago now, actually, that from my mid-teens to kind of my so early to mid-twenties, I really struggled with, with pornography, I really struggled with it. Everything on the surface, fine. But actually, there was this element of my life, this closed door in my house. Jesus had access to everything else, but not behind the closed door. I could go back to that whenever I wanted to. I was, it was my distraction. It was my coping mechanism. It was all sorts of stuff. You know, but Jesus says, doesn't he, to that third man, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, no one after they've been given this job, this task, this kingdom task, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, if you're looking back, you ever seen someone drawing lines down a road, you know, someone working for the council, perhaps someone drawing lines on a sports pitch or whatever. If they're trundling along down that line and they look over their shoulder, they're probably going to go off course, right? And that line's going to get wonky. It's not going to be fit for purpose. It's not going to do anything at all. It won't do anything at all. Now, in God's grace, God still chooses to use us, even though we're not perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes, you know, we're so distracted. We're so, other things are more important. Other things are, you know, we're, we're a bit more comfortable for us. That actually to, to cut out this stuff is, you know, it's, it's a bit too difficult to do that. But that's what Jesus is looking for. People that are going to join in his kingdom purpose, his kingdom plans, the bigger narrative. Some of that might be cutting things out of your life. It could be something as, as, as difficult, but as clear as cutting out an addiction, a behavior, a habit. Some of you might need other people to help you see those things in you, I don't know. Some of you might need to make some big decisions about what you're doing right now, what you're serving right now. It's the cost of following him. 
I don't think we can be sold out for Jesus and not expect to face cost, regular cost for him. I've got to just finish kind of on this last point, I suppose. It, it's a, it starts up here. It's having the mindset of Christ, the mindset of Jesus. You see it echoed in this passage. Jesus says that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says to the second man, go and proclaim the kingdom. And he says to the third man, if, you're not going to be fully, if you can't fully focus on this, it's not fit, fit for the service in the kingdom of God. He says that. There's this constant reminder by Jesus that it's not about this earthly kingdom. You know, we're citizens of heaven living on earth with the kingdom plan. We're not just saved for a future kingdom. That is the great hope that we have. But we've got a kingdom plan now. It starts now. You're a disciple now. And we need to operate with that Christ-like mindset. Citizens of heaven. You see it in Abraham. I mentioned Abraham earlier. In, Abraham, uh, in Hebrews, sorry, uh, chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, it says this. Excuse me. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, in, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It's this Christ-like mindset. Abraham himself went through some big stuff, right? We know that. But he was looking forward. He had this now hope, new creation, but also this future hope. We have this now hope, but this future hope as well. This understanding that we are part of God's kingdom that is now and it's to the future. Having this vision, this mindset is so, so important. Paul gets it. Paul totally gets it. This is why he's encouraging the Roman church as well. You see it in other letters that he writes to the church of Philippi. He writes this in Philippians 1, 20 to 23. He says, I eagerly expect uh, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. What a challenge. He had this kingdom vision. Whilst he was on earth, he had this kingdom vision. But he also had this sense, this bigger hope, you know, that actually the stuff he was going through, yes, he had to persevere through it. Yes, it was building character. It was building kingdom character. But it's because of this hope that he was able to do it. This now hope and this future hope. It impacted his daily living. He says, doesn't he, in Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Wow. You know, he understood what it meant to be a living sacrifice. Read about that yourself. You know, challenge this with yourself. What does it mean to live a life that's costly for Jesus Christ, where you might face suffering as a result of it? Romans 12 through 14 is a great few chapters to get your head around that stuff. What I want to say is that what Paul says, he doesn't, he doesn't rejoice because of his sufferings, right? He rejoices in his sufferings because he knows that there is this process going on. Yes, it affirms that he's about his, king, his father's business, the kingdom stuff, right, we're talking about. He knows that it affirms that, but it's not easy for him, right? It's never going to be easy when it's costly for us to follow Jesus Christ. It's not some weird, sadistic, kind of twisted thing where we go, yeah, rejoice because we're suffering for Jesus. Not that. But in our sufferings, we have Christ within us, stood next to us, 
who's, who's pioneered, trailblazed through that himself, and he says, come through it, because it's refining us. It's refining you. You know, when we face cost and suffering, it refines us and it reflects Jesus. It refines us and it reflects Jesus. And it's sealed by the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, five years after, five years after this, um, this letter was written to the Roman church, they were going to face some horrible persecution. They didn't know it. Paul didn't know it at the time, but God knew it. God was stirring something in them, right? They, persecution. Some of them were rounded up and eat, killed, like eaten alive by dogs. Some of them were burnt alive, torched by Nero, all sorts of horrible things going on, right? But the same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that lived in this early church, lives in us as well. And we probably, we, well, I don't say probably, but you may not ever face that level of persecution. I don't know. I don't know. But we have the same spirit that's calling us to accept. As we step out, as we become disciples, um, perhaps more overtly sometimes, that we're going to face cost. Some of it starts with us. Some of it means being a bit more braver with other people. It's going to come with an element of suffering for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be an unashamed disciple of Jesus. Now I want to finish on a few questions. And I, as we've said previously, I'd love to hear your wrestlings with this stuff. But as a 21st century follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, with so many comfortable trappings, what does it look like for you to recognize this is a part of your gospel, to, 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 to face cost, to be willing to face cost. What does it look like for you to, to see the value of suffering for Jesus as well? I'd love to hear from you. Um, our emails will come up, Keith and my emails will come up if you want to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you, how this is challenging you. Perhaps some of the stories that you, you've already faced cost for, your follow, for following Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah. And we'd love to pray with you. So I'm going to pray for you now as we finish. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the, you are the ultimate example of, of cost. You know, of what it meant to, to only do what your Father wants you to do. In that garden when you said... <laughs> but not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes we, we would sooner that be us, my will be done, because it's just easier, it's more comfortable. It means I don't have to make tough decisions. Spirit, just as I'm praying, Spirit, I just pray that you are just touching hearts right now. You're opening spiritual eyes to things. Perhaps people are listening to this or watching this that don't really know you. It is a big cost to follow Jesus Christ. It's a free gift of righteousness, but actually it means our lives. It means our lives. It means being sold out to the bigger kingdom narrative that we are called to. It starts with us, the personal, but actually it's the international mission. Spirit, come. You know, as we have that fire of you, Lord, we need to, we definitely need to fan that into flame ourselves. But Spirit, come and just perhaps ignite new fires in us. Lord, give us the strength to, to put things down, to pick up the cross. Not a comfortable cross, not a new cross, but a cross, the same cross that you, you died on. But we want to reflect that. We want to be refined by it. Not in some weird way, Lord, but we, we know that facing suffering because of you produces 
perseverance and character that your spirit produces in us and reminds us of that incredible hope, that now hope, but that future hope, hope of the glory of God. Jesus, come have your way in our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a, a great week. And uh, please, like I said, please stay in contact. If you've got anything you want to talk about, then we'd love to chat with you. Take care and see you soon. Goodbye.